discipleship, specifically concerning soul winning. Soul winning and discipleship. We've been talking about soul winning being essential for the disciple. Um, if you have your Bibles, and this is not in your notes, can you turn to Isaiah chapter 5? Isaiah chapter 5, verse, from verse, um, it's a long reading. I want to read from verse 8. Um, just want to highlight something very simple from these verses. Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place. In other words, there is a curse on those who take other people's land by force and expand their territory through um, force, really. That's what it implies here. Where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts said, truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night till wine inflames them. In other words, there is a curse on the alcoholic. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute and wine are in their feasts. And there is a curse on those who are given to living a lifestyle of partying. But they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hand. So, there is a curse on those who are given to materialism, whereby they accumulate wealth, land upon land, house upon house. And then there is a curse on those who are given to pleasure-seeking, where they just are interested in just getting drunk and having a great time, and so forth. These two extremes are evident in our society today. And often, without the mercies of God, we fall under one of these categories. We're given to chasing wealth or we're given to chasing pleasure. Verse 13. Because of this, therefore, my people have gone into captivity. Because they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished or they're starving. In other words, they are famished with knowledge. They have no accurate knowledge. Therefore, Sheol, or hell, the realm of the undead, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. In other words, because of this lifestyle that humanity is given to, the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure and not regarding God's work, the result of it is that his people, humanity, that he loves, and in this case it was Israel, are going into hell without even realizing it. And they end up there forever damned, forever lost, without a hope. They end up there because they did not have the right priorities of their life. Now, remember, we're talking about soul winning 
being essential for the disciple. And as I've been meditating and praying, I've got the notes and so forth, but I want to speak to you out of my heart a bit and also teach as well. And it's this, is that for me, it's very important that we understand what it is that we are trying to do as a community of people. Why it is that we are doing what we're doing. It's about the rescuing of the lost. It's about souls who are perishing. Right now, the estimation is that every day, 160,000 people die. They die every day. Now, if you take biblical revelation that God will have a tithe of the human race, which is 10% of the human race, it means of the 160,000 on average that dies every day, only 16,000 will be saved. Maximum, which, which then means that you've got about 144,000 every day who dies and doesn't know the Lord. Beloved, we have a very serious mandate. Now, we cannot save the whole world, but we can do something about our families and about our friends and about those that God brings into our immediate vicinity by how we live our lives and by how we influence them. And I want to impress it on you to become uncomfortable with not being a soul winner. I want to impress it on you that you will start to be consumed with a passion to see people saved. Your family members, your friends, to see people who God gives you the opportunity to share the gospel with come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Because, beloved, when people die, that's it. When they die, there is no coming back. That is it. We have been blessed by God. Those of us who are born again, the millions of believers on, in the earth today, have been blessed by God to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But what are we doing with that knowledge? What are we doing with it? In fact, I'm going to go straight to the last portion of the notes, which is the sin of not winning souls. Um, so if you can go to that one, uh, because last week I was talking about why we should evangelize, but I just want to touch on this. You can always go back to those notes in yourselves and so forth. The sin of not winning souls. The majority of us, and I say us including myself, are guilty of the sin of omission when it comes to soul winning, we have become comfortable with the idea if God forces me in a situation where I have to tell people about Jesus, then perhaps I might do it. Other than that, let me live my life because you know what? I've got a lot of things going on. And we don't recognize the urgency of the state of lost people. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, how we, many years ago, we went to start a church in a, a little village in Ghana somewhere. The Lord told us to go and start this church. And uh, we sent a, a team and uh, uh, two of our pastors, as they went so winning, they met a young man and witnessed to him. And he said he wants to give his life to Jesus. And um, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He said he wanted to do it there and then. And they led him through the sinner's prayer, gave his life to Jesus, 
went to work in the mines and died in the mines that day. He died that day. That was his last chance. And when they witnessed to him, he said, strong man, handsome guy, according to them, strong, handsome guy, intelligent. He said, yep, he worked in the mines, was doing well with his life. He said, I want to. And he got them to lead him to sin's prayer. He died. And I, again, some of you remember this story where, again, I was planting another church. The second church we planted in Ghana. I remember doing an outreach and I witnessed to a guy, a police officer, witnessed to him, impressed it on him to surrender his life to Christ. And he told me he's just too busy for such things. And I impressed it on him. I told him about Roger's brother, Ian, how somebody had witnessed to Ian on a Friday night. And on, Ian had said, he's coming to church on a Sunday but on the Saturday, Ian died. Remember, Roger? You know, Ian died. He died. Now, Roger used to bring Ian to church. And Ian wanted to come to church on Sunday, wanted to really give his life to the Lord. Now, we don't know what happened, whether in that gap he surrendered. We don't know. All we know is Ian got on his bike to drive to, to see his girlfriend, and on the way he died. He had planned to come to church on Sunday. So I shared this with this man. And he just, he just totally rubbished it and said, okay, yeah, I'm too busy. Now, his son stood there, listened to what I was saying, and his son came and gave his life to the Lord. Well, three weeks later, that man got into his car, doing his job. On the way, he never came back. He had a car accident and died. He didn't know he had three weeks left. Beloved, let me tell you something. For us to have the privilege of sharing the gospel so that people can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is a serious privilege. But it's an issue of life and death. It's an issue of life and death. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want to be cold or lukewarm anymore about soul winning. I am asking the Lord to touch my life, to touch my mind, to touch my spirit in such a way that I will come out of this complacent stupor, this situation where my life is so busy with so many things that soul winning is like an addendum, an addition that I add to. And it will become a lifestyle so that by how I live my life, people are provoked to either accept or reject Christ. Now, I'm not there, but I am, I am, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm going to start praying. Just like prayer has become part of my life where I can't do without praying, I want to make soul winning part of my life so that I cannot do without winning souls to Christ. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, Samuel said this, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We are aware of the sin of prayerlessness, but we are not conscious of the sin of not winning souls. And today I want to impress on you eight aspects of the sin of not winning souls. Now I got this through some, um, one of these old timers, they're preaching on the internet and I've kind of tweaked it. I like the old timers because they just said it as it is. They preached it straight. None of this PC nonsense. They told you as it is and offended a lot of people in the process. Glory to God. <clears throat> so the first sin of not winning souls is the sin of neglecting the Great Commission. The sin of neglecting the Great Commission. Now we know the Great Commission is summed up in Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, it begins in verse 18 when the Lord says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This commission is for everybody. It's not for preachers. It's for everybody, every one of us have a mandate on our lives to make disciples. Question, how many disciples have you made or have I made in the last 10 years, in the last five years? How many disciples? You know, sometimes it's a joke. You say to people, who are your disciples? And five people point to one person, and that one person points to somebody else. That's the person who discipled me. Everybody says, I discipled him, I discipled her. And then you ask the person, who discipled him? Oh, he did. We have a commission to make disciples. Now, to make a disciple, you first have to win them to the Lord. And to win them to the Lord, you have to share the gospel. I wonder how many of us here, having been in the Lord for at least one year, can lead someone to Christ. How many of you can lead someone to Christ? Can I see? You know how to lead someone to Christ. Beloved, are you seriously telling me you don't know how to tell somebody how to be snatched from the jaws of hell? If you've been in church for three months plus and you don't know how to do that, there is something seriously wrong. If you don't know how to lead someone to Christ, you need to repent. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, today it's, 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 it's going like this. I'm sorry. You need to repent. Now, you can be upset. You can be all, all you like. You need to repent. You don't know how to lead someone to Christ. Somebody says, what must I do to be saved? Uh, hold on. Let me get a phone. Pastor Joe, are you there? This person wants to know. It's, it's, it's a disgrace. The Great Commission is for all of us. And I want to provoke you. I want to provoke you. The next three months that I'm preaching, I'm going to get on our case on evangelism. So it's a good idea. If you want to hear it, that's a good time to visit people on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching. Because I am going to. I'm going to talk about soul winning. Unless the Holy Spirit tells me different, I'm going to, for the next two to three months up until the end of July, I'm going to talk about sowing. So, you know, don't leave the church. But if you don't want to hear that, that's a good time to visit Lambeth. And, uh, but actually, if you visit there, they're going to give you even something else. John is going to be preaching holiness hard. So you can visit somewhere, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere else. The sin of neglecting the Great Commission. We've all been guilty. I certainly have been. And I pride myself in being committed to making disciples. But I wonder how many disciples you, Joseph, your ministry have really produced, disciples of Jesus Christ. How many disciples I have really produced. I think I shared with you this vision. Just before I went to Ghana early this year, I had a vision. And in my vision, I saw myself in my hometown, the great town of Chebi that rules the rest of Ghana. <clears throat> And I saw myself, I was, I was as I am now, and I was walking towards um, my grandmother's house where I used to live as a child. And I saw this whirlwind in the distance, this ugly looking whirlwind, begin to brew. And I thought, oh, there's a storm coming. So I thought, well, let me go and, I'm going to catch in there. I mean, it's, it's quite dilapidated, that house was. So I'm going, and then, it looked really eerie, the atmosphere. 
If you know that town, it gets really eerie at night. But it wasn't night. It was getting to the night. So I thought, you know, just so that we don't have to do too much witchcraft fighting, let's get to the house quickly. But then I noticed lightning begin to crack through the sky. And it went this way. And then I said, oh, he's here. He's, he's come. Got it. And then the heavens opened, and then the glory of God, God began to pour down on me. No, then when I said, cut it, I went, ah, oh, well, at least, he's, at least he's here now. And then the heavens opened, the glory of God began to bathe on me, and I began to be transformed, and then I came out of it. And what that vision was saying to me was this. Joe, first of all, that, ah, oh, got it, he's here, was this. I haven't done hardly anything. And the Lord is here. I'm gutted that I have wasted so much time. And now the Lord is here. Gutted. But there was another side. Great. Well, at least he's here now. So it's over. So, and uh, I was happy. So there was two sides. Yes, I want the Lord to come for sure because that's brilliant. But before he comes, I want to do, I say I want to do better than I've done the last 32 years of walking with the Lord. I want to do far better. We're not impressed with what we've achieved in 32 years of knowing Jesus. We're not impressed at all. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. We're not impressed. It's better not to be impressed here than to stand before the Lord thinking you've done something. And he says, I'm not impressed. Yeah, so. But you might be impressed with your life. Glory to God for you. But we're not impressed. But... I said, gutted, and I realized God is speaking to me. He's saying, Joe, the time is short. You've got a lot of work to do. You can't be wasting time like you've done. Because I will come, and I will come at a time you will not expect. Even if the Lord comes through you dying, because when you die, as far as you're concerned, the Lord has come. You know, when, once you're dead, as far as you're concerned, the Lord has come because you're going to come before him anyway, isn't it? Do you understand the logic? Are you, are you gonna, are you, are you, do you understand the logic? I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking to you. I've decided I'm going to speak to you from my heart today. You know, so at least whether you like it or not, one day the Lord will come for you. But between now and then, you can do something. I don't, I don't know what it is that you struggle with. I know about struggle. I don't mind telling people the kind of struggles I've had. We're going to have this men's conference, and when I'm with the men, I like to tell them the gory details about some of the things that we did and we were up to as Christians, as pastors, and how the Lord has delivered us over the years. Don't mind telling people. But I tell you something. Don't allow your struggle to be a reason why. You don't let God use you. Don't allow the issues that you're struggling with, the sin issues you're struggling with, be a reason why you take a backseat while other people are going to hell. Because the bottom line is, we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We've given our lives to Jesus, and he has saved us, and he's able to keep us from falling and present us blameless before his glorious majesty of great joy. It's true. But... 
Even though I may be struggling, even though I may have just messed up, even though I may have lost it with the wife or I may have lost it with the children or I may have had a moral failure or I may have not met up to power or I am involved in the sin of not winning souls. Today, I can do something about it. Today, I can put a marker and decide, you know what? I'm going to make a difference. I am going to respond to the Great Commission. The sin of not responding to the Great Commission is the first thing I highlight. The second one is, the sin of a lack of love for Christ is one of the reasons why we participate in the sin of not winning souls. A lack of love for Christ. What a strange one. How many of you love the Lord? Come on, raise your hands. Wave your hands if you love the Lord. Wonderful. I believe I love the Lord. Come on, tell your neighbor I love the Lord. How many of you hate the Lord? You hate the Lord. You can't stand him. Just wave if you hate the Lord. You know somebody's actually waving. <laughs> Means you are not listening. Because even if you did, you wouldn't admit it here. <laughs> we all love the Lord, and I believe we all love the Lord to a certain degree. But here's what he says in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who loves me keeps my commandments. He who loves me and keeps my commandments, sorry, he who has my commandments and keeps them, I beg your pardon, is the one who loves me. And that person I reveal myself to. Could it be that one of the reasons why we're not involved in soul winning is because we don't really love the Lord like we think we do? Often, I have discovered that we love God out of our comfort zones. If you're like me, this is my struggle. I'm willing to love you, Lord, as long as it's comfortable. As long as the demands being made on my soul are not so strenuous that it hurts. Sometimes when you're being tempted, oh man, it, it's like, it's so draining. How many of you know what that's like? So you just find like the easiest thing is just to sin. Anyone? Look at you looking so holy and righteous. When you're being tempted to do the wrong thing, sometimes the pressure is so much that in your head, the only thing you think of is just yield and life will be so much better. Isn't that so? Yeah, it's a normal sensation we all go through. But when it comes to something like soul winning, when it comes to seeing people saved, reaching out, sharing the gospel, it's not an option. It's not something that we are told if you he says, go and do it. It's a command. So if we claim we love him, why is it that we have relegated this way down the agenda? There is something wrong with our love. The third sin is the sin of not following Jesus. The sin of not following Jesus. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So not winning souls is, an ev is evidence that we are not truly following Jesus. 
Because if we were truly following Jesus, he makes us so winners. Now, I know this is not very nice teaching today, more even painful than last week, but here it is. We're doing surgery on us. Are you going to resist me? Huh? You're not going to say, yes, I'm going to resist you, are you? It's kind of rhetorical. You're not going to answer. But listen, I want to encourage you to say to the Lord, change me. Because you know what? The first time I, I read this, I felt a resistance. I thought, nah, the sin of not winning souls, nah. But I thought, let's just look at it. And as I began to examine it, I realized, oh my goodness, this sin is in my life. It's there. I don't like it, but it's there. Oh my goodness. He said, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. So if I am following him, how comes I'm not fishing men? Because he says he will make me. Not that you will become. I will make you. So if I'm following him, where are my fishes? Where are the men that have won? So from now on, you catch men. That's another version. So who are the men that I am catching? Who are the men that you are catching? Listen to me. John Wesley's marriage was awful. His wife, as he'll be preaching, would come into the service. At one point, it was recorded, and dragged him off the pulpit and beat the man in front of the congregation. She used to chase him. But he was a wonderful soul winner. And he wouldn't divorce her, unlike some of us today. She would beat him, humiliate him. He didn't let that phase him in the ministry. Listen to me. The unsaved don't care, you know. If you are able to demonstrate the love of Jesus, your marriage could be really rubbish, but they will come in. Are you still there? Doesn't give you an excuse to have a bad marriage, by the way. We're not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes you can use, listen, sometimes, listen, listen, listen. D.L. Moody, he had a big problem. You see me belly? You see my stomach? It's very slim compared to his. He had a big stomach. But he was a great soul winner. Once he was talking to Charles Spurgeon, he had another problem. He liked to smoke. And once he was talking to Charles Spurgeon, and he said to Spurgeon, you're a man of God. You shouldn't be smoking. And by the way, again, you shouldn't be smoking. But if you smoke, you're not going to hell. <laughs> he said to Spurgeon, you shouldn't be smoking. And Spurgeon said to him, there's nothing in the Bible about this. But there's a lot in the Bible about that. <laughs> what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. These guys were great soul winners in spite of their issues. That's what I'm trying to say. In spite of their issues. Because you know what? The world out there, they want reality of the gospel. If you can show them the reality of who Jesus is, in spite of your issues, they will turn. I mean, in our, in our church here, one of our heroes, Sister Gladys, I remember... In, in, in the days of old, she, in, in terms of soul winning, she was one of our heroes. She would, 
She went to the gay bars. I mean, she's been thrown out of gay bars. A few gay bars, isn't it? They've thrown her out. What a testimony. I mean, come on. They threw her out of a gay bar. She, she, she went to a few. This isn't even that. This was in the early days. She went to a few and they knew her. Oh, no, no, no. You can't come in. You can't come. What a testimony. What a badge of honor. I've never been thrown out of a gay bar because I've never been to one. It's time to visit some. Yeah. We're so trying to be all prim and proper, we miss the point. She, she, she used to, I don't know if she still does it, go evangelism between 11 p.m. and like 2 a.m. around the Vauxhall kind of, that area. Vauxhall, you know, and where? Where? Leicester Square, yeah, she's just telling me, Leicester Square, Piccadilly, Trafalgar Square. How many of you have been to those places during that time? You see some, how many of you? You see, you're too tame. You, you, it's, 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 it's a different world, isn't it? It's wild. You see all kinds of things. It's time. How many of you have ever gone to Speaker's Corner to preach? Look at you. Only, only the veterans, the old, the old timers. You see, listen. You, 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 you find people who challenge you. I remember once we went to Piccadilly Circus, I nearly got beat up. It scared me, but I, I pretended to be really bold. But I was terrified. The guy, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, oh, shut up. <laughs> it traumatized me. It's just I styled it. Nobody knew, but I was traumatized. Hey, is this one is involved? <laughs> but if you're following Jesus, you, he will make you a soul winner. Four, the sin of not abiding in Christ. Not remaining in Christ. You see, we remain in church. We remain in religion. But how many of us are remaining in Christ? Look at this. John chapter 15 verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it, continue, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, the kind of fruit being referred to here is in direct result to answered prayer in our lives. Because John chapter, seven verses, John chapter 15, verses 7 to 8 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples or you show yourselves to be my disciples. Now, what he's showing us is this. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are remaining in Christ, the automatic evidence is that we will have answered prayer. And the answered prayers result in fruits being born by our lives. Here is the question. What is the fruit that a disciple bears? What is the fruit? You might say the fruit of the spirit. Well, let me ask you this. What fruit do oranges bear? What fruit do oranges bear? Oranges. Not apples. And what fruit do apples bear? 
What fruit do bananas bear? Everything bears fruit according to his, its kind. So a disciple will bear fruit according to their kind. So if I am a disciple, the fruit that he's talking about is the fruit of other disciples. The Father is glorified when by our lives we are producing other disciples. I want to provoke you to become uncomfortable until you become a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You say to me, Joseph, are you saying I'm a bad Christian? Now you're catching on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, are you, are you seriously trying to condemn me? Well, let's define condemnation. You know when it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? Go check the Greek of that word condemnation. It means sentence to damnation. It doesn't mean feel bad about bad things. So people, you say, now you're condemning me because they feel bad. So if you mean, am I condemning you because I want you to feel bad about something? Amen, brother. Amen, sister. I do. I want you to feel bad about not being a soul winner. But if you're saying, am I condemning you saying that you're going to hell? Absolutely not. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the devil. But do I want you to feel bad about not winning souls? Yes. Do I want you to repent? Yes. Do I want you to feel guilty about not winning souls? Yes. Go and tell Joseph Prince that. Yes. If you know his preaching, go and tell him. I want you to feel bad that you are watching people going to hell. That you don't care about the fact that people are going to die and go to hell. Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend, your neighbor. I want you to feel bad about the fact that if they die, they will go to hell and you don't care about it. I want you to feel bad. Of course I do. I pray in the name of Jesus, you will feel bad. Yeah. How many of you have children? Would you like your children to go to hell? Would you like them to go to hell? Should you feel okay? It doesn't really matter. It's their choice if they go to hell. What nonsense. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, everybody must decide what they want. How many of you have you? You have no idea. This is a foolish nonsense. There is no way my children are going to hell. I told God, every child that comes through these loins must go to heaven. Otherwise, I don't want them. I don't want anybody coming through these loins and we only have one womb to put them in, by the way. Huh. 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 Who, who is going to come on this earth and they go to hell? Then I don't want them. No way. So from, the, from, from before, this was before even I got married and before I started having children. So from the beginning, I always knew all my children are saved in Jesus' name. They, can, they have no choice. We've put an embargo. Huh. And then I said, there is no way anybody that has got my blood in their system can go to hell. No, 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 no. I said to God, it's impossible. Because your word says, ask and you shall receive. It's impossible. I don't care if my mama said, you to preach to me. I was, before you were born, I was in, whatever you used to say. I don't care. 
Even if she never gives me the credit, I don't care. I am praying until she irresistibly comes in. We wept, we cried, we shouted, we groaned, we did all kinds of things before God to say, telling him, my family have to be saved. I want you to feel bad. I want you to feel bad. And I pray you will feel bad. You know, the saints, they used to weep. They used to groan. They used to roll on the floor. They used to tear their clothes apart and ask God, cry out to God for heaven to touch people who are lost. There was a, a black guy called Samuel, what's his name? Sam, um, that guy, the black guy, Morris, Samuel Morris, I think it was, was a slave. Um, I think his name is Samuel Morris. It's a slave who came here, found Jesus miraculously, and was brought here. He died very young. But whilst he was here, because he couldn't speak English properly, and he wanted to share the gospel, they said he would be on the streets, and you just start to pray. And as he prayed, the power of God will begin to touch people, and people will come under conviction and cry out for salvation. Now, the weather here killed him, actually. He came here, the weather killed him. You know, but in that short time he had, God used him to turn lives around. There's a young man called David Brainard. David Brainard was sent, God put it on his heart. He was an American, young American guy, age of 28, he died. God put it on his heart to minister to the Native Americans in, in, in the U.S. And he said sometimes he would go into the fields and dig ice ice, like a field of ice, dig it, cover it to here, and then begin to pray. And he will travail and groan and cry and pray and agonize for soul so much that he will be literally sweating. He threw that. Thousands, hundreds of Native Americans came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Today, you find Christians shouting, crying, praying for a car. Oh, Shaba, bring the car. Yaba, bring the car. Job, Yeko, bring the job. Bring the job. Ikolobo, bring the job. All your gymnastics is for, for a car and a job. Nonsense. All that. In the name of Jesus, Ikolobo, a wife, a wife, a wife, a wife. And after you get married, you can't even maintain the thing. Nonsense. There are certain things you declare. Father, I need a new car. Can you work on it in Jesus' name? Amen. But when it comes to the souls of men, you have to give it your all. Because Satan isn't going to sit down and say, oh, you're going to win souls. Okay, then. No. They're his. He's, he has a claim on them, a legal claim. So you have to be the stronger man who binds him in order to spoil his goods. That's why we fast. That's why we pray. That's why I'm talking to you. Because I want you to begin to recognize that your family ain't going to be saved by you giving them a leaflet and saying, we've got a special service today. It's got, they're going to be saved when, in spite of you, you travail for their soul through prayer. You pray for them. You fast for them. You seek for them to be saved. I don't know if she remembers, many years ago, Freya told me how hard it was for her family to be saved. I don't know if you remember. 
Do you remember? And all I say is, just pray for them. And she and one or two of us have been praying, and they've seen a breakthrough. But you ain't seen nothing yet. You, 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 you're going to see how God is going to turn that whole group around. But now you guys that have come in, you need to really fast and pray. Listen, let your fasting and your prayer be for the souls of men. Not for a job, a car, a house, a wife. Not for those things. Because I tell you, if you do it for those things, for the souls of men, those other things will just run after you. When he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added, they will chase you. You are chasing things and neglecting the souls of men. That's why you can't get it. The Lord said to me, tell your church, through one of our prophets, he sent me an email and he said, one of the things was this. He said that the church, he said that there are um, people, the Holy Spirit said through this prophet, one of our prophets, he said, to me that you've trained people in your church and after you've trained them when it's not time for them to now really help to build the work of God they then pull back because of their families and he said this and and he said this whilst it is good for them to prioritize their families it is not good that they've neglected my house and he said this until they reprioritize my house, the things that they are looking for, they will never get it. You cannot neglect God's house, which is the people of God. Those who are here and those who are outside and expect God to honor your life. He will not. He will not. The sin of not abiding in Christ is evidence of the sin of so winning, of not winning souls, sorry. Or the sin of not winning souls is evidenced by us not abiding in Christ. Number five, quickly. Another sin is the sin of not fulfilling our obligations to the unsaved. Do you know that you have an obligation to the unsaved? We have become guilty of being unfaithful to the to an obligation to the unsaved and also an obligation to God when it comes to seeing people saved. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Did you know that? Do you have an obligation? You know, sometimes Christians say this. I don't want to do things by force. I need to feel, shut up. That's a stupid thing to say. You think Jesus went to the cross with, oh, yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In the kingdom, there are many things that can only come when you exert force. In fact, anything in God's kingdom that pushes forward, you have to apply spiritual force. So, <laughs> you're not going to feel all the time like winning souls. How many of you at times feel like praying? At times you feel like praying. It comes, isn't it? At times you feel like praying. But how many, how many of you, 
You don't feel like praying more times than you feel like praying. Huh. Oh, unless you're Pastor Steve Mante, then yeah, it would be different. But, you know, the rest of us, huh. you don't feel like praying more times than you feel like praying. And if you decide to only pray when you feel like praying, you'll be a spiritual dwarf. It's the same with soul winning. Most of the times when I decide to do evangelism, I feel intimidated. Yeah, I know you all think I'm so bold and as for Joe, he doesn't care. I care. I feel afraid. Most of the time I get, so I say, oh Lord, give me the grace. I'm feeling afraid now. Give me the grace. Of course, I'm not going to say, ah, I'm scared. I'm scared. Can you imagine? Let's go outreach. No, I'm really scared. Pray for me. How many of you will follow? It's normal. It's natural. And how many of you feel like a real lemon or an idiot is another word for it when you're talking to people and they're not interested? It's normal. It's called the reproach of the gospel. It's actually a badge of honor to feel like an idiot because you try to talk to people about Jesus. It's a badge of honor we're supposed to carry. The apostles were so happy that they could be humiliated and beaten up for the sake of the gospel. Imagine that. Add that to your prosperity teaching. But today, we have forgotten all these simple realities of the gospel. We have a debt to those who are not saved. We have a debt. And we have a debt to God. Number six, the sin of being foolishly short-sighted. Being short-sighted. You know, the Lord declares in Luke chapter 16, verse 8, he said that the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. When you think about the fact of what soul winning is, that you are actually investing in the destiny of men and women forever, you're rescuing people from hell, you are, but also you will be rewarded in the age to come. And it's the greatest reward you can have is the reward of a soul winner. When you think of that, how should we live our lives? You know, an atheist once said, he wrote this article, and this, is what, this revolutionized one of the great um, preachers of old. They said, if I believed there was truly a God and that the, gospel, the merits of the gospel of Jesus Christ were true and that people will really go to hell when they die, he said, I would give my life to the ardent pursuit of evangelism and missions work. I will not sleep or drink. I will not give, let anything else occupy my mind except that which has to do with rescuing the lost and seeing souls saved. If I truly believe that the merits of the gospel of Jesus Christ were true, this is how I live my life. He said so many other things. I paraphrased. So this preacher read that and said, oh my goodness. Here's the voice of an atheist. And through the voice of an atheist, he became a great soul winner. Because as far as the atheist was concerned, from what he can see of us, we're just talking stories. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine 
like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Proverbs 11 verse 13. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. The fruit of, a righteous, of the righteous is a tree of life. What do you think that means? What do you think that tree of life is? That tree of life is another human being. In other words, through me, a righteous man who is a tree of life, my fruit is another tree of life. And he who wins souls to become a tree of life is wise. I'm concluding. Point seven. The sin of neglecting our ministry as watchmen. We have a ministry of being watchmen for God and for those within our sphere of influence. I am a watchman for CLF. And as such, I am warning you about your responsibility when it comes to soul winning. Just like I've sought to do in all other areas, I am not holding back. I am warning you. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. He says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if I warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Look at that. You see, some of you younger ones, these scriptures I'm reading is like, what? To your ears. But I tell you, every one of us, there is blood on our hands if we neglect our ministry of being a watchman. If you know that what these people are doing is wrong, and you refuse to tell them, and you refuse to point it out, because you don't want to offend nobody, you don't want to get on the wrong side of other people, when people come to you and they ask you a question about homosexuality, about same-sex marriage, about other religions, about this, about that, and you give them politically correct answers, their blood is still on your hands. Their blood is on your hands. But if they ask you a question, what do you think about same-sex marriage? And you are able to say, I believe it's a sin. I believe it's a sin. That's what you believe. It doesn't mean you have to be horrible to them. But you know, it's not for me to judge. Foolishness. Tell them what you believe. Because they already have an idea what you believe. Does it mean that we should be horrible to those who, have, um, who are married to the same sex? Of course not. But they ask your opinion. Tell them the truth. I'm waiting. If I'm ever invited to question time, you see what will happen. They're going to be booing me right through. Because I'm just going to say, they bring it up. And they, whoa, what do you think of homosexuality? And I'll say. And they'll ask me, what do you think of this? All the hot potato questions, and I will answer. So are you saying a Muslim will go to hell? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm saying a Muslim will go to hell unless they repent and give their life to Jesus. Are you saying then it's only Christianity that has the way? No, I'm saying only Jesus has the way. 
He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh, I'll even say cometh, to the Father but by me. <laughs> I will make sure I really tell what I feel. And I'm asking God for the courage. I wonder how many of you would then distance yourself. No, well, him. No, I don't know him. I used to visit that church, but no. <laughs> Last but not least. In fact, this sin of neglecting our ministry as watchmen means we will have blood on our hands. God still holds his people account for the souls of those they are supposed to warn. We are guilty of the blood of every lost soul who goes to hell. If we had a chance to warn them, pray for them, and wisely seek to win them, but refuse to do so. You see, I'm not saying that you go around looking to offend people. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you walk to somebody who's, let's say, not married, and you say, you know what? You know you're living in sin. Do you know you're living in sin? You're not married, and you're having sex. You're living in sin, and if you die, you're going to hell. Well, you, it's the wise who win souls, not the foolish blabber. But if they ask you, we're not married. We've been living together for 18 years. We've got children. Are we living in sin? What does God think about that? Well, you see, it depends what you mean by marriage. You are an unfaithful witness. You tell them the truth. Yes, you are living in sin. And yes, if you die, you're going to hell. Since you have asked, that's the way. But let me tell you, there is a better way. It doesn't mean if you want to get married, you need to get through counseling. Because even though you've been living together for 18 years, you might discover that when you get married, things will change so much. So you need to look at that properly. But you don't tell lies or half-truths because you don't want to get on the wrong side. So are you saying that my children are cursed because we're not married? No, there is a curse working on your children, for sure. You see? You see there? See there? See there? It's called the curse of illegitimacy. It works on us. If we have children out of wedlock, it is released on them. It's the curse of Ammon. It's released on them, and it needs to be broken. I know you don't like what I'm saying, but it's the truth. It gives the enemy access to operate on our children. You think God instituted these things for, without reason. So, you ask, and I tell you, and then you get upset. Well, you turn to tell my children are cursed. I never said that. I said there is a curse working. Whenever you have sex with somebody and you get married, on your wedding night, you bring all of those people with you to that bed. You both bring them. What do you think is going to happen? Confusion is going to be sown into that situation. That's why God has put these things in place. So we have to teach people the right way. And it's not going to be nice. It's going to be ugly at times. But we have to tell them the truth in love. Otherwise, their blood will be on our hands. Can we, that curse be broken easily? One of the ways those curses are broken is when you dedicate your child to the Lord. When you dedicate your child to the Lord, you, you begin to reverse that curse. Another way is when you acknowledge your sin and you repent and you ask God to forgive you for having that child in a way he didn't ordain. But getting all defensive and offended doesn't remove the curse. In conclusion, I've gone way over my time. Ezekiel had this ministry. 
And Paul, the apostle, said this in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. He says this, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In verse 31, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In other words, Paul was saying this. After three years of being in Ephesus, I have no one's blood on my hands. I've gone night and day with tears publicly and from house to house, carrying the whole counsel of God. I'm not to blame if anybody goes to hell. Unfortunately, I cannot say that in Greenwich. I cannot say that even in my area that I live. But I'm saying to the Lord from this day, I want to be an effective soul winner. Let us pray. 